0: So the saint of today, one of the saints of today, uh, there's Jer- Jerome Giuliani, and there's also uh, Saint Josephine Bikita. I want to focus on Saint Josephine Bikita today, just because there's one theme which I think is, is very, very important and very relevant to each one of us. So I'll tell a little of her story and then we'll get to the to the point at the end, hopefully. Uh, so she was born in 1869. Apparently I'm not speaking loud enough. 1869, right? Born in 1869 in Sudan. And she was from a relatively wealthy family, okay? But uh, even at that stage, uh, the slave trade was still happening. Uh, so she was taken as slave by Arab slave traders. And she was made walk as a nine-year-old, made walk 600 miles, 600 miles. Along the way, she, she doesn't even fully remember the story herself because, again, she was so young. Um, she, she was sold a couple of times on the way, so, you know, from slave trader to upper level slave trader, uh, so she was as i say oh, just lost you know as a nine year old surrounded by all these adults, pulling and dragging and selling and trading you know a horrible horrible fearful uh, experience for for such a a young little child a young innocent little child okay, so she was bought then by a wealthy Arab who gave her, if you will to uh, her to his wife and his mother in law now i don 't really understand how or why maybe it was maybe this was common practice back in in, in the day i don 't know or maybe it was a way of venting, but this arab 's wife and mother in law would torture her daily they would beat her daily so in one instance with in in this arab household she knocked over a vase and she was beaten so badly that she was incapacitated for a month now keep in mind when we say incapacitated for a month that doesn't mean she felt bad for a month she was a slave so if you can walk you're going to work so if she was incapacitated that means the girl couldn't walk she was beaten so badly she couldn't walk right she wasn't able to, to to serve at all um uh, with these, these two ladies then, uh, they would use flour to, to draw, it's like kind of tattoos, if you will. They draw With the flour, they'd draw the kind of patterns they wanted to, uh, to etch into her with a blade. So, oh, love, love, lovey flour, let's make it look nice and pretty. And then they would cut it into her skin with a blade, after which they'd rub salt on it, so the wound would never properly close. And that they scar. Then afterwards, have this lovely little thing that they've etched into her. Now, if she had two of those, that would be horrendous. If she had five of them, that's disgusting. She had a hundred and fourteen of those etched into her, body, cut into her body. And if she screamed or went to run away, the other lady was standing there with a the whip. So it's like this. I just this doesn't bear thinking. I. Just, I can't, you know, I feel bad. I used to feel bad doing, dehorning calves, you know? Like, that, that hurts them. I know it hurts them, but you have to, otherwise they'll hurt each other. Uh, but, like, to do that to, to a human being, and repeatedly, it's, it's something bordering on satanic. So she, uh, she suffered greatly. She suffered greatly at, at, their, at their hands. And uh, this, um, she was then sold on to uh, an Italian. Uh, his name was Callisto Legani, And he was working in Sudan. He was a vice consul down there. And when he was returning back to to Italy, she pleaded to go with him because he could have sold her on again. Uh, And he agreed and brought her back then from Sudan back to Italy. So there she was back in Italy in a much, much safer Environment. I mean, it's terrible when you say you know she, she was getting on really well. She wasn't beaten every day. I mean, if that, if that that's the level we we're talking about here, she she wasn't beaten. On M- more than that, she was actually trusted. She was the nanny, so she took care of the kids. And Kellys uh, he, he sold her on, or she went to work somewhere else. And um, when this family then were going back to Sudan, they left her. They left Bequita, this this sister, this this lady, uh, with a bunch of nuns. They said, "Look, you can stay in the convent while we're gone. We're going back to Sudan. You can stay in the convent." So she stayed uh, with the convent in the in the convent in Venice with the uh, can I think it's Canossian. We don't we don't have them here in Ireland. Uh, I think so, Canossian sisters. So she stayed there. So keep in mind now how her life has been so far. You know. She was dragged away from home at nine years of age. She didn't remember her own name, so what her family used to call her. The Arabs, in an ironic and somewhat cruel kind of way, used to call her uh, Bekita. And Bekita is, is their word for look- <coughs> lucky. So she's the lucky one, you know? So it was a kind of an ironic name. They called her lucky, so but Bequita was the name that she knew herself by, but she knew that wasn't her African name, that wasn't her Sudanese name, that wasn't her name at home, but she couldn't remember what her name was. So she's in Italy now, living with these sisters. And she said she always knew about the creator. She always knew about God in her heart. But she never knew who he was. I mean, she believed in him, but she, she never knew who he was. Now we're now living with the sisters. She's seeing them pray and read the Bible and pray scripture and talk about holy things. And she's asking them a million and one questions. You know, you can imagine the, 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 the questions of a, a girl in her late teens uh, and the, the innocence of the questions. You know what I mean? Uh, how big is God? Where does God go during the night? You know, I mean, all of these kind of questions. She just had no idea. And she was learning at a rapid rate about this fascinating faith. Now, this isn't in my notes, but it's just after coming to me now. If you had come from that life, what would be the thing that would really strike you about our faith and about Jesus? Love, yeah? If you've suffered, if you've been tortured, what would strike you about our faith? The cross. I think she must have been absolutely mesmerized. Again, this is is made up. I could be completely wrong. But I think she'd be absolutely mesmerized to see this God, creator of all things, who bled and suffered and died and rose, but suffered. I understand that. that. That I get. But he continued to love and even on the cross while suffering he forgave those who were torturing him something something clicked in her heart you know this, she was fascinated by this, this this Christian God so when the family came back from Sudan they, they gave Vikita a call they called over I guess they called over to bring her home and she said I'm not going and they said oh yes you are and she said oh no I'm not and then for three days they were pleading with her look you have to come back you have to come back with us uh, and she said, No, I won't. And then the sisters actually said, Well, she can stay with us if she wants. And they went to court. So the sisters and her uh, Italian family went to court over where she should go or what she should do. And it was discovered then that when she was taken as slave, slavery had actually been outlawed in Sudan, so she couldn't legally be taken as slave. So effectively, she was free. Free. And so then they asked her, Okay, what? Well, What do you want to do? And she said, I want to be a nun. So she was baptized, (laughs) catechized, and became a sister. And she was very, very gentle and knowledgeable and loved. She worked for 42 years as a sister. She was based in a place called Schio, up in the north of Italy. And uh, she worked on the door and cooked meals. And people loved just meeting her and greeting her because she was so gentle. Just such a, such a, loving, a loving presence, such a loving person. And uh, the, the article I read is in English, obviously. And in English it says that they called her um, our, our brown sister. But in Italian, it's la suora mora. It's, it, it sounds much better. Mora is their word for brown, you know. So la suora mora, uh, our little brown sister. They loved her, like. They loved her. During the Second World War, uh, Schio was, was bombed. Uh, they fled to Sister Biquita and they saw her as their protectress, because even though bombs fell in Skio, not one civilian was killed. You know she was just immensely prayerful, immensely close to God. But the real thing that, that, that just blew me away reading her story uh, was when she would speak about. Her, her scars when she would speak about her past when she would speak about her hurt and most especially when she would speak about her kidnappers she thanked God for them because she said because of them I found the Lord because of my kidnappers I found the Lord I thank God for them forgiveness is very very difficult there are certain situations that make forgiveness much harder it's much harder to forgive if the person you're trying to forgive or want to forgive or should forgive hasn't asked for forgiveness you know so if if you kind of just kind of between you and the Lord have to say look I want to forgive I, I don't want there to be any animosity I don't want there to be any hurt in me I don't want there to be any anger or hatred in me so I know I have to forgive so I'll forgive them even though they haven't said a word. You know, that's 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 difficult. It's obviously much easier to forgive if someone says I did wrong. I recognise I did wrong, I recognise it hurt you, I don't want to hurt you, I don't I don't want to well sin. And so I'm sorry that my actions have hurt you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. By the way, there's such such healing in the person who says that too. Such healing in saying, I actually don't have to be perfect, and at times I make mistakes, and I'm sorry. I don't want to hurt you, because I actually care. I'm sorry. The opposite of that is trying to absolutely convince ourselves that we never do wrong. And that, you know, because I had a, a good reason for doing it at the time, even though I, I recognize now it was wrong, I had, a, I had a good reason at the time. So it's fine, it's fine. This, the other person shouldn't have a problem. So everyone should just get over it, and everything's fine. I haven't, done a, I haven't made a mistake, so I don't have to say sorry. What's that called? Pride. <laughs> right, that's good old-fashioned pride. Where uh, I don't have to, I know I've done wrong, but I won't say sorry. That's pride. And that will hurt the person and will probably hurt all of those who care about them in time. There's another situation where it's difficult to forgive, and that's where where the hurt is ongoing. You know, where you're trying to forgive, say for example, uh, there's alcoholism in the family, a, a husband or a family member, and you're trying to forgive them, even though chances are tomorrow or the day after, you're going to have to face the same thing again. That is very, very difficult. And I think of, like, of of Bikita, Sister Biquita, now Saint Biquita, John Paul II canonized her, and how she was able to think of those captors and torturers and thank God for them. (coughs) Why? Why wouldn't I forgive? You know, why would I... Why would I hold on to hurt? I know it's a kind of a human thing. Often because we want justice. And we feel that if we forgive the person too easily, they're getting away scot-free. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve to be, you know, let off the hook. I need to hold on to that anger. I need to hold on to that hurt. I need to remember it. So that they don't go off scot-free. Do you think the fact that your heart is hurt or not hurt has any effect on their day? They don't even know. So for us to hold on to hurt or hold on to those memories, in in a way, until we get justice, the only person that has any effect on is you. And it's quite a negative effect. It can absolutely destroy you from the inside. So the, the Lord calls us to forgive. If I'm in a position where I need to ask for forgiveness, then he calls me to ask for forgiveness. And the only obstacle to that is just pride. Like, freedom is found in the truth. I mean, I know it sounds so simple to say, but freedom is found in the truth, just the truth. If I've done wrong, then say sorry. If someone has wronged me, then I need to forgive them. And what's wonderful about these, both of these things, asking for forgiveness or being forgiven, is that, in, especially in these difficult circumstances, it's only possible with the grace of God. But then think about it this way. If I can do that, if, if I can say, if I can forgive people, especially who haven't asked for it, or people where the, the suffering is ongoing, think of how much that makes me like the Lord, who forgives his torturers as they're torturing him and if the goal of our lives here is to become like Christ to become Christ like not just but not just part of his club but part of his body to become Christ like christian to be like Christ then if i can do that it makes me an awful lot more it gives me it gives me like a larger portion of his heart you know that i can begin to love like him to love with that kind of merciful love that's That's a beautiful grace to be able to love like that. And that's, I think, what gave St. Begita her, that, that serenity and that kind of magnetic attraction that just people wanted to talk to her and be with her and pray with her and have her talk to them. And she would have had her little accent as she spoke to them, I'm sure. So I'm sure it would have been just charming to listen to her. But as with all people who love deeply, as with all people who know how to love and know how to use their heart. They've all done so because they've learned how to suffer. Those who love deeply are those who have learned how to suffer. All the good people that you know who are just who are loving and, and really like, beautiful in here, they are people who have suffered and loved through it. as we look at her life and as we compare it to ours we may have a bit of work to do we may have a challenge or a call in our lives not just to be beneficiaries of the Lord's mercy which is nice and which is good and which is necessary and which is easy but to be merciful as our Father is merciful and to be ministers of that mercy, bring that mercy wherever we go. And we do so not just because there's a, you know, a rule or a commandment. We do so because it sets us free. We do so because this may be your path to sanctity. There's no doubt that there's a lot of injustice out there and a lot of suffering out there, maybe a lot of suffering in your own lives. If we learn to live in that truth, to live as ministers of mercy, then we'll see, realize in our own lives what St. What Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8, that God turns all things to the good for those who love him. And we learn our absolute need for him, our absolute dependence on his grace. And all of this sets us free. Whereas digging our heels in and either not asking for forgiveness or digging our heels in and not forgiving the other, that all of that it all impedes grace, it all stops. stops the Lord from loving in us and through us and transforming us and healing us and, and giving us the joy and the freedom that he's calling us to. The great thing is all of you are here to come to Mass and receive the Lord in Holy Communion. That is, we might say it's the source of all grace. I mean, it is all grace because it's God himself. So we come here to the Lord because we know we can't do it on our own. We know we need him. And he will give us what we need. He will give us exactly what we need. So we ask the Lord today to fill our hearts with every grace we need to forgive, to ask for forgiveness, that we can be his ministers of mercy, that we can follow the example of Saint Paquita. Amen.